Good morning. <laughs> Beautiful things. Still not, there we are. Thank you. Beautiful things. Today we begin the journey to Easter, talking about the beautiful things of God. I I hope you picked up on our theme today. God makes all things beautiful. God makes all things new. God comes and sets us free from, from the prisons of our lives. Sometimes those prisons have real bars. Sometimes those prisons are hidden deep within our hearts, our souls, our spirits, our minds, and we are imprisoned within. We hear the voices of condemnation, the voices of of shame, the voices of guilt, the voices of humiliation, the voices that tell us that we're no good, and that we're a failure. And oh, that we would understand that God comes to set us free from the prisons of our hearts, our minds, of our lives. And that is good news. And that is the story of Easter. It's the story of Christ coming to bring life anew and afresh. It's the story of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, Emmanuel entering into this world. Over these next weeks, we're going to consider the prophet Isaiah. If you would, open your your Bibles to Isaiah. If you don't have a Bible there, there should be one there in the pew in front of you. And I want us to begin making our way through this book and particularly through the servant songs. But, But I'm reminded that typically we... Think of Isaiah as an advent, as a a Christmas book, a a prophet who prophesied about the coming Messiah. If you would, I don't know if we're going to work today or not, so we'll just stay back here. If you would turn to Isaiah, look at Isaiah chapter 7. Again, this beautiful advent Christmas passage that Isaiah tells us about. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And then we move over to chapter 9. Again, that, that other beautiful Lenten, excuse me, Advent passage that, that, that prepares us for Easter. I'm sorry, for, for Christmas. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We think so often of Isaiah as being that key Advent prophet. But we must also consider Isaiah as one of those prophets who best understood the nature and the fate of the long-awaited Messiah. You see, Isaiah prophesied during the the 8th century B.C. The Dead Sea Scrolls that we we found and and, and that were such a powerful discovery from the Qumran community in Israel had intact scroll of Isaiah. 
that went back a thousand years prior to any of the other manuscripts that, that we had of the scroll of Isaiah, dating that particular scroll back to around 100 to 150 B.C. And there's a lot of scholarly debate about how Isaiah was written and, and the different ways it was written, the possibilities of, of different dates in its written, but we can be assured that the prophecy of Isaiah was complete two centuries at least before the birth of Christ. And some would suggest even back to the 6th and 7th century B.C. is when it was completed. The prophet Isaiah peered into the future. God stirred him as he looked into the future. And towards the end of the book of Isaiah, beginning in chapter 42 and finishing up in Isaiah chapter 53, we are offered a glimpse into the life of the coming Messiah, of His ministry, of His suffering, and of the sacrifice that this Messiah would make. In fact, so radical and so unsettling is this picture of the Messiah that no one really understood or comprehended it or embraced this picture of Messiah until Jesus Himself. So over these next weeks, we're going to take these servant songs. We're going to explore them and look and see at the kind of Messiah that Jesus was to be and the kind of Messiah that He embraced Himself. It's important to have just a brief understanding of Isaiah and, and what he is speaking into, what, what Isaiah foresees in the 8th century as he looks into the future. He sees a desperate situation because of the rebellion and of the rejection of Yahweh by God's people. And Isaiah sees God's people in great peril. For you see, a century later after Isaiah, the northern kingdom of Israel would literally disappear into history at the defeat of the Assyrian army. And the southern kingdom of Judah would find itself in captivity, conquered by Babylon in 605 B.C. And it's not until we look at the book of, looks of Ezra and Nehemiah as that captivity period comes to an end that we see the distress and the reproach the hopelessness of how the city and the people of God had fallen in Jerusalem. And so as Isaiah is looking to the future, as he's prophesying what needs to take place and what will take place, Isaiah understands that God's people need a Messiah. They need someone to come and to save them and to redeem them. God's people need a servant. And this is the key word. Turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41 tells us and reminds us that God does have a servant. Look at verse 8. But you, Israel, the descendants of Abraham, you are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I, I have not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God and I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Isaiah is looking into the future and, and Isaiah is reflecting and he's saying, 
Israel needs a servant. Wait a minute, Israel is God's servant. Now look at the end of that chapter, starting in verse 27. And to Jerusalem, I will give a messenger of good news. Isaiah has looked into the future. He sees that God's people have have rejected him, have have turned from him. He, He sees that they're in captivity. And he says to Jerusalem, I will give you a messenger, a messenger of good news. And then the reality of the situation comes to us in verse 28. But when I look, there is no one. There's there's no messenger and, and there's no counselor among them who, if I ask, can give an answer. Behold, all of them, all of the people in Israel, all of God's people where, where there should be a servant, where they should be a messenger, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. Isaiah sees the despair of God's people because they have turned from him. And there is no messenger. There is no servant to be found. And then we enter into chapter 42, the first of the servant songs, verses 1 through 9. Behold, there is no servant, but behold, behold my servant, Isaiah says, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and its offspring who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it I am the Lord I have called you in righteousness I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring prisoners out of, out of the dungeons and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to any other, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have passed. Now I declare new things. Isaiah was looking for a servant, but there was not one to be found. And now, and now Isaiah proclaims that God will send a servant. That God will send a Messiah. One to come and to free and to redeem and to set free the captives. To set free God's people. We see this beautiful, powerful servant song in Isaiah 42, the the first of four servant songs. And so we must ask the question, who is this servant? Who is this servant that God would would send to free His people Israel, to free His people who are captive in Babylon? For that's the people that Isaiah is writing to initially. 
If you look in chapter 41, it gives us a hint. In 41 verse 25, I have aroused one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, he will call on my name, and he will come upon rulers as upon mortar, even as the potter treads clay. There is one who's coming. There is one who will come and bring freedom to Judah, to God's people, and to help them to restore and renew Jerusalem. If you turn over to chapter 44 and 45, we see who this person, this historical person is for Israel initially. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Cyrus the Great is the servant of the Lord here initially. It's one of the hermeneutical principles of looking at Scripture. What does the Scripture mean to that people at that time, in that day, and in that moment? It meant that one would come, Cyrus, his name, and he would conquer the Babylonians. And in one of the great archaeological discoveries of our day, the Cyrus Cylinder was discovered and it had on it a a command, a decree from Cyrus that said all the peoples in all the conquered lands of, of Babylon could return to their home countries and begin to reestablish and rebuild their nations. And so as Cyrus conquered Babylon... He offered this decree and the stories in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are the stories of God's people returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Cyrus is that initial servant of the Lord. But is that what Isaiah is ultimately talking about? Is is Cyrus the great, the, the servant that God wants them to be aware of and to prepare for? No, I believe that Cyrus was only a a foreshadowing. A foreshadowing of the true servant of the Lord who would come, the Messiah. So again, we must ask the question, who is the servant of the Lord? Who is the one that Isaiah is ultimately pointing us to? If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We understand in, in our context, in our day, that, that certainly we're talking about Jesus and that, that Isaiah was foreshadowing and prophesying that Jesus would come. But look at the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12. We see that Jesus is, uh, is, is starting to, to receive criticism from the religious leaders there in, 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 in verses 8 and 9. He'd gone into the synagogue. He'd, he, he was questioned by the leaders there. And then we go down to verse 15. But Jesus, aware of this, aware of the, the Pharisees and their conspiracy against him, that they were talking about how they could destroy him and arrest him. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. And Jesus was aware of this. And he withdrew from there. But many followed him. And he healed them all. And he warned them not to speak to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And here Matthew refers back to this first servant song of Isaiah 42, quoting this passage, identifying, connecting the dots for us that Jesus is this servant. He is the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. 
And Matthew reflects on the prophet, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. Remember in in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus is baptized, Mark is very clear that the Spirit of the Lord came down, fell upon Jesus. I will put my Spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles, to the nations, and he will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, a smoldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory, and in His name the Gentiles, the nations, will hope and be healed again. We see that, that, that Matthew wants us to be sure that we don't miss this, that we understand that Jesus is the suffering servant, the servant that's mentioned in chapter 42 of Isaiah. So let's look back at the, the, the song, the servant song in 42. Because Isaiah wants us to understand the mission of the servant. You see, the servant's mission is that he will bring forth justice. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will work to bring forth justice in this place. Again, look down at verse 6 in chapter 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to my people. As if a new covenant, right? The new servant comes and there's a new covenant that that God would have with them. And look at the work of the new covenant. Up in the earlier verses, it was to bring justice. And now we see specifically it's to be a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. To bring prisoners from the dungeon. You realize that there's people in the dungeons that don't deserve to be there, that are innocent, that have been condemned, that have been judged, that have been beaten down, that have been oppressed, that have been accused falsely. There are people who have been placed in the dark, dreary dungeons of life unjustly and one of the promises of the servant is that he will come and he will seek justice and he will bring those who've been condemned to the dungeons of life who've been put there who've been victimized and he will free them and bring them out of that place but you see the dungeons and the prisons are also filled with people who are guilty and they're serving their sentence to rectify and to bring justice. And even those, this servant will come and he will rectify and he will make right what has been done so that they too can be freed from the prisons and the dungeons of life. The servant's mission is to come forth and to bring justice in this place And in this world, this theme of justice, this theme of a servant pursuing and working for justice continues to be developed by Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. 
Isaiah 16.1 is not one of the, the servant passages, but it, but it speaks to this idea of the servant coming to pursue and to bring justice. Again, notice the connection between the servant that we've read about in 42 and now in verse 60, chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, and He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is the, the work, the mission of the servant. Now turn with me to, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I hope you're you're going back and forth. You're 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 watching what we're doing because we're we're identifying. We're seeing how Scripture clearly links this servant with Jesus. And Isaiah, excuse me, in Luke chapter four, Jesus has just been baptized and he's gone out into the wilderness and was tempted there and was found faithful. And now as he comes back into the public. It's time for his public ministry to be announced. And he goes into the synagogue at Nazareth. And there, it's his hometown, it's his home church, so to speak. And he's asked to read, hey, Jesus here, Jesus, why don't you read the scripture today? And in verse 17, we learn that the book of Isaiah. The scroll of Isaiah is handed to him. And he opens that scroll. And he finds this particular passage. And here's what Jesus reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor and He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And you can just see in that synagogue, the men gathered around. Jesus has finished His reading. He rolls the scroll up. It's quiet. It's silent. They're waiting to hear what Jesus would have to say about this passage. In verse 20, He closes the book. All eyes gaze upon Him. In verse 21, He declares and proclaims that today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus proclaims right there that He is this servant. He is the One who has come to bring justice to the nations, to the people, to free those who've been imprisoned, to bring sight to the blind. Jesus is this servant. Jesus embraces this role of, of servant. He understands that the Messiah must come. And He is not a Messiah that will come in conquering on a, on a white steed, bringing an army into Jerusalem. But rather, He will come and He will conquer and His kingdom will be initiated as a servant. As a servant who will suffer greatly and sacrifice greatly for His people. Jesus is the servant and he embraces his mission and now let's look at his method the method in which the servant will follow look at verses three and four 
It's a powerful picture here. This, this servant who comes, a bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Oh, when it comes to people, how, how quickly are we to see those people around us who, whose, whose life is a dimly burning wick and, and our response is to blow it out? We see those people who are, are like a bruised reed. And they're hurting. And how often our response and our, our, our world's response is to just break off that reed and discard it. But not the servant. The servant sees that bruised reed. That person who is weak. That person who is helpless. And he doesn't discard them. Rather, he comes to heal them. Jesus sees that dimly lit wick. The life of that person whose flame just seems to, to be going out. That broken person. That, that vulnerable person. And I love one of the translations says, He will not crush or extinguish that broken reed, that bruised reed, or that, that diminishing flame. No. His method is to come alongside and to bring new life and new possibilities and to create new things, beautiful new things, as we heard from our musicians today. Jesus is the servant who will not crush. He will not break. And notice the second part of this, this passage here. He will not be disheartened. And He will not be crushed until He establishes justice. Cyrus the Great was a, a great earthly leader. His goal in life was to conquer the world. <laughs> and he had the army to do it. And certainly, he was a part of God's plan to free God's people so that Jerusalem could be reestablished. But I can promise you that as Cyrus went about his warfare, that he didn't look to protect bruised reeds and dimly lit wicks. They were extinguished and broken along the way. But one thing we do know about Cyrus is that he was never able to fulfill and accomplish his ultimate goal. He was killed in battle one day. I think of the great servant leader in our own nation, Abraham Lincoln, as he fought for the bruised and dimly burning people in our nation, those who had been confined as prisoners in the dungeons in prisons of our nations as slaves. Even though he resolved 
to not give up his fight to emancipate slaves and to reform our nation, he was ultimately crushed by an assassin's bullet. And while, yes, he saw the end of the war, his death robbed him and his death robbed our nation of his critical leadership during Reconstruction. He was deprived of the opportunity to fulfill his mission. Jesus, however, is not a servant like Cyrus and like Abraham. He is the servant who will not break or extinguish, and He is the servant who will not be broken or extinguished. He will not give up. He will not be crushed until He finished His work of justice. He went about doing good. He went about healing the sick. He went about freeing the oppressed and the imprisoned. And instead of breaking the bruised and extinguishing the dimly burning, He brought faith and love and hope and healing and freedom to those he met. And even though he was crushed on the cross, he did not give up his spirit until his mission was fulfilled. John chapter 19, verse 30 tells us the story that before taking his last breath, Jesus proclaimed, It is finished. Those of you familiar with this story and this passage understand that that word, it is finished, that he proclaimed from the cross before he took his last breath is an economic term that means he paid off the debt in full. Jesus proclaimed from the cross an act of justice. I have paid it off. Your debts are taken care of. Justice has been one, our sin and our unrighteousness, the debt of those things has been paid. And we are now made right and just before God because of the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and as the servant, he served in a unique way and carried out his mission as only he could. And now let's look at the servant's outcome in verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. And what are these new things? Again, as we talked about, the former things have passed. The guilt, the shame, the oppression, the injustices, the, the humiliation, we can give those over to Christ. We no longer have to listen to those voices inside us that condemn us and those voices on the outside that ridicule and condemn us as well because we have been set free from those because Christ has declared new things in our lives. He is a light to the nation. He's brought darkness. He's brought light into the darkness. Prisons have been opened. The prisoners freed. The dungeons. People who've been left for dead and for lost are retrieved from the dungeons. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. The old things have passed away. 
Behold, new things have come. In that glorious next to last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 21, Jesus says this. The Scripture says about Him beginning in verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and will, there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. For you see, the first things have passed away and He who sits on the throne says this, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus comes, the servant comes to bring new things into our lives, to bring beautiful things into our lives. And now the servant comes with his invitation. His invitation that we must receive. The key to our prison. Jesus has in his hands. He offers it to us. If we will receive it if we will allow Him to open the lock of our prison. Church, today we are surrounded, yes, even in this sanctuary, we are surrounded by broken reeds and dimly burning wicks. We are a broken people. We are an imprisoned people. We all struggle. We all struggle with those voices of guilt and of shame and of condemnation. Oh, if people just knew who well, God knows, and He still brings you the key of freedom. Jesus, the servant of the Lord, comes to us this morning and He does not break us and He does not extinguish us. Rather, He comes to heal us and to redeem us. He comes to make us new again. So by faith, by faith will you receive the servant of the Lord into your life? Have you received this promise that I am making all things new? I am making you new. Are you being made new this morning? Is God continuing to redeem and to work and, and to make you new? Oh, I hope so. And if not, why not allow Him to begin today making you new? And if you receive Christ Jesus, if you receive the servant of the Lord into your life, then guess what? Now, now, you and I become the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord may be in ways like we've talked about today that Cyrus and Abraham were servant of the Lord called to live out and to accomplish His purposes. We, we as the servant of the Lord need to initiate and respond, respond to the blind and the imprisoned. We have the opportunity to offer light to those that are in darkness. We can serve and advocate for the broken reeds and the dimly burning wicks that are around us. We too can serve the Lord and bring about justice for the hurting and the broken and the oppressed. Church, as we begin our preparation for Easter, let us hear the servant of the Lord say, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making you new. Let's pray.